Hello, and welcome to this Meetings Today podcast, uh, kind of a special broadcast uh, podcast today on the uh, coronavirus, which is really uh, just, you know, I don't know, uh, the potential to decimate the, the travel industry, the meetings industry, business travel, and I think we've all seen what it's done to the stock market, and, uh, and if you have a 401k, uh, don't look at it, uh, it will all, I guarantee it'll all come back. But um, we're here um, with uh, Joshua Grimes with uh, Grimes Law Offices and Tyra Warner from the College of Coastal Georgia, um, two of the really the leading attorneys uh, covering the meetings and events industry. Um, thanks for joining us. Thank you. And uh, I'll just start off here, just kind of uh, set, the, set the scene. Um, I know there's a, uh, a Global Business Travel Association poll that is uh, estimating the potential losses of uh, the coronavirus, a aka COVID-19, could amount to uh, more than $46 billion a month. Uh, business trips to Asia Pacific are down by almost half, and 23% uh, of companies reported canceling business trips to Europe. Um, I know here where I'm at in San Francisco, the mayor has declared a state of emergency. Um, really, people say that's uh, to kind of uh, grease the skids to get perhaps a federal funding. Uh, but I know there's just a, there's too many conferences and, and conventions that have been canceling for, to even keep track on. But a few of the big ones are the International Medical Device Regulators Forum in Singapore. Uh, Goldman Sachs canceled its annual partners meeting. Uh, the world's largest uh, mobile telephone uh, conference, the Mobile World Con Conference in Barcelona canceled. Uh, the International Trademark Association in Singapore, their annual meeting is no longer. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, the, the dominoes seem like they're following, uh, falling, especially in Asia Pacific. Um, but I know in the U.S. there are a lot of reported cases. Um, so, you know, uh, let me start off with uh, I, whichever one of you wants, wants to start off and jump into this mess um, and tell planners what they should be thinking about, especially from a legal perspective. Um, what should planners be thinking about? Tyra, why don't you start? Okay, I'll be happy to. Well, I think, um, you know, I think the, the big thing on everybody's mind, um, you know, right out of the gate is, you know, can, can we terminate our contracts without liability? That is, you know, does coronavirus create a force majeure situation for us? Um, you know, that's the first thing that, I, that I've been hearing from planners. And, <clears throat> you know, and my advice to planners, uh, you know, has been, well, you know, you really need to look at that force majeure clause and remember that, the force majeure clause as far as terminating your contract without liability, that is without having to pay any kind of cancellation damages, only applies if coronavirus or COVID-19 um, makes it truly illegal or impossible or depending on how your force majeure clause is written, uh, makes it impracticable for you to hold the meeting or for the facility to host the meeting. Um, so for these conferences that are being held in Asia, in Singapore, or, you know, in China or somewhere like that, then, you know, it's a little more, um, you know, you can see the direct effect a little more, um, <clears throat> um, you know, for a conference that's in, in Cleveland, um, maybe not quite so clear um, that it's actually making it illegal or impossible to hold. This is where I'm seeing instead of actually the coronavirus making it illegal or impossible, 
we're looking more at the fear of the coronavirus, mm -hmm. making people afraid to, to go to conferences, and fear isn't a force majeure. And I think I think that's right. And I would just add on to that. And let me say one of my clients uh, was a major exhibitor at the MWC conference in Barcelona, which got canceled. So I got thrown into this and have had to try and pick apart a number of challenging force majeure clauses. So um, through trial by fire, maybe if you want to call it that, I found a few other ways to look at this in addition to, the, to Tyra's good points. Um, first, I would say at the outset is um, Tyra's right. You, you need to read your contract clauses, your force majeure clause. But in addition to that, talk to your meeting partners, your vendors, your hotels, the others that you're working with, because you're not going to be the only one probably in the situation that you're in where, you're, uh, where your meeting is being canceled. There's probably others similarly situated, and there already may be a policy that the, that the uh, suppliers uh, and other, frankly, other planners or other uh, meeting hosts have worked out. Um, in addition, uh, I would look hard into the wording of your force majeure clause. Uh, as Tyra said, they're all different, but uh, many of them include an ability to cancel without liability if, there's, if, if the meeting can't go forward because of a government regulation. And arguably, if your meeting is, uh, is such that uh, many of your attendees are from a country where people aren't allowed to travel from because of government regulation like China right now, um, that may be a force majeure that may be less than obvious uh, because we're not used to seeing to invoking that portion of the force majeure clause. In addition, many countries and every U.S. state has a statutory force majeure law that may go beyond what's in your clause. So in the case of the uh, MWC conference in Barcelona, the Spanish Civil Code, uh, I believe, offers some relief outside of the contract. So I would just urge people to look at what may not be so obvious uh, in their force majeure clauses and also in the law uh, of the place that they're meeting to see if that gives you any um, additional leverage to get out of a contract. And, oh, and I, I, I would just add, too, um, that I mentioned that, uh, you know, San Francisco has just declared a state of emergency. And I know Facebook canceled its F8 conference here. Um, is, how does that uh, figure into anything like this, if a, a jurisdiction maybe uh, announces a state of emergency? Um, go ahead, Josh. Well, I think it depends on the particulars of that. If they're saying that people shouldn't meet, like some uh, some countries I know, and I'm not familiar specifically with what San Francisco's done, but some countries have banned meetings of more than gatherings of more than a thousand people, uh, which could have impact if Japan were to do that, could impact the Olympics or could impact a lot of sporting events or other gatherings. Mm -hmm. If that's what's happened, then a governmental action or regulation has made the meeting impossible or illegal That's so that would dry. clear yeah. yeah that would clearly be a force majeure if they're just saying well we're declaring an emergency because we want people to do things like uh wash their hands and not gather in big groups and if you feel sick you should do this or that 
but they aren't actually banning a meeting, it would give you less leverage uh, to cancel for force majeure. And it also raises a good issue. You know, one of the things that I've found in, in some of my clients' force majeure clauses that they've asked me to review are <clears throat> some of their force majeure clauses are a little more vaguely worded. And instead of, um, instead of talking about governmental travel regulations, they just say travel bans. Mm -hmm. And so they're trying to say that their own companies have declared travel bans, and that should be a reason yeah. for them to declare force majeure. And I kind of say, you know, I try to explain to them that that would be like me saying, I'm not going to allow myself to travel to Dallas, and therefore I have to be able to get out of my plane ticket without any penalty. Um, you know, and, and of course, you, you can't declare your own travel uh, force majeure. So, um, so I, I would say that's another thing to sort of be wary of is if your own company declares that you're not allowed to travel somewhere, that probably isn't going to count as a force majeure. But again, and, and Tyra pointed this out, a force majeure, it, it generally has to be something outside the control of one of the, of the parties seeking to invoke this, invoke it. So if it's a, a company policy that people can't fly, I don't believe that would work to excuse performance. But for instance, the situation right now, as I understand it, is most airlines have stopped, if not all of them at this point, have stopped flying from China. Uh, including the China, some of the Chinese airlines. So that would be cessation of transportation services that would be a force majeure. It just can't be uh, something that the party invoking it seeks to do, seeks to use to excuse performance. Right. And, and I think, too, an important point, and, and Josh, I think I've seen you make this point in some articles that I've read that you've been quoted in, is, you know, remembering that this force majeure language doesn't just apply to an all or nothing situation on these conferences, that it may also apply in, a, in an attrition type situation where there's a reduction in numbers, mm -hmm. um, you know, say that you, you go on with a, with a conference or convention, but your numbers are down because, you know, the people who were supposed to come from Asia aren't able to come. Um, you know, or, or in some cases, as I'm hearing, are, are being asked not to come. Um, and so there are times that the force majeure clause may excuse that partial performance um, and, and, or, and or event cancellation um, kicks in for some of these occasions as well. Right. And I think that's a very good point in that force majeure uh, generally excuses performance, uh, uh, can excuse performance in part and not totally. So uh, you, a properly drafted force majeure clause, and I would say particularly after this experience, you know, when people look at their clauses, when you, if I were redrafting one for the future, I would include expressly a part performance situation like Tyra just discussed. So maybe you can't get the numbers that you were hoping to get, but you could still perform with a lesser number and uh, because of force majeure, not have to pay attrition. Interesting. Um, and have, have you heard about how long this may last? Um, I believe uh, that the uh, CDC and the World Health Organization uh, could last uh, up to a year. And I, and I know there's been conferences in April, late April, that are being canceled. Um, what are you hearing out there and how does that sort of work into the, uh, the, the outlook on the, the legal front? Well, um, I guess I'll start on this one. 
Uh, I'm not sure that anyone knows. Um, I, I, I've heard the same things that you just mentioned, Tyler. But on the other hand, I just read an article saying that one of the major hotel companies is going forward with opening some new hotels in China this mm. uh, in the next few months. Um, so I, I don't think people know. I think the key is to be prepared. If I were signing a hotel contract today, uh, I would take, or frankly, any time in the future, I'd take a long, hard look at my force majeure clause um, and see if it covers, based on what I know now, uh, with this experience, see if it would cover uh, my group adequately in, in the future. And also, you talk to your partners in the meeting, your venues, your hotels, your other suppliers, uh, because they've been through this same experience and um it may be easy to get everyone on the same page because the, the tendency might be to say it's uncertain. So we're just going to cancel, mm -hmm. but I don't think anyone wants you to cancel if you don't have to. Right. And, and you know, I think there's so much speculation right now. I mean, you know, even the, the health professionals are scrambling to, to figure out what's going on. I mean, I think there's, there's some speculation that, you know, like flu season, there will be a season where this is a big problem and then it'll fade into a smaller problem. And then there's some, you know, concern that it's going to be a worldwide pandemic that's just going to continue to be an issue. But, you know, I think one of the things that I would stress to planners, um, you know, meeting professionals of all kinds is let's learn from this. I mean, everybody's mm -hmm. treating this like it's a novel, brand new, one of a kind kind of issue. But, you know, if you look back, I mean, even through the, your own archives, Tyler, of, of, of your own magazine, you know, it's not coronavirus is, is not the first thing like this to come along. I mean, people have really short memories. You know, yeah. there was there was SARS. There were cases of Ebola. You know, there was Zika virus. There's you know, there's always things like this. So it's it's not you know, how long is coronavirus going to be around? It's what's the next thing that's going to be around the corner? And let's let's start crafting really good contract language for, for the next thing we don't know, um, you know, and, and let's keep good contract language. And, and are you noticing, yeah. say, you know, your clients or, or what you're hearing out there in the industry, that meeting and event planners and organizations are becoming more aware of this and uh, or is it... <laughs> Things like um, this is going to go away, hopefully, and uh, things will just go back to normal and they won't think about it till the next time something happens. Well, I've gotten a number of requests to review force majeure clauses in the last two or three weeks. Mm -hmm. um, so I think people are looking to go ahead. I mean, quite frankly, I'm more concerned right now about the economy, yeah. uh, which I hope bounces back quickly. But I think the possibility of, a, of an economic recession it could be a bigger long-term cramp on the meeting industry than, than this. Um, yeah, I was, I was talking so, to someone yeah. uh, yesterday, and uh, she said, well, look for the quarter two uh, you know, G, uh, GDP. And she was hearing that it could decrease by as much as 2%, because when you think about it, you know, where does all our stuff come from? China, right? And these, there's right. factories that are closed there now. That's right. If we all right. think back to 2008, 2009, and what we all went through then, you know, I mean, for those of us who are, and I won't, I won't speak for you fellas, but <laughs> I don't have to remember the effects of that. Um, mm -hmm. 
you know, right. I mean, and we do, we have to think about the next thing that's around, but I do feel like Tyler that we do in this industry tend to have very short memories, you know, so we'll, there'll be a blip. And I can say this now that I'm more of a professor than I am an, an active lawyer. Um, you know, I think there's a surge in, Oh, I need to call my lawyer and get help with this. And then it sort of fades off until the yeah. next blip. Um, yeah. And I wish that meeting professionals would consistently see the value in preventative measures like reviews of contracts and buying insurance and the preventative measures instead of after something happens and then trying to get help. Yeah, I, I think I think that's right. And I would say that, you know, I review my sort of standard clauses to the extent that I call anything I do standard. But um, after every one of these incidents, and in fact, I have changed my suggested force majeure clause uh, based on this experience. Uh, and six months from now, there may be another experience that would cause me to to, to amend it. So it's really a, a uh, it's really a good reason to look at your clauses. Um, if I could just say something else real quick, because Tyler, you brought up a point that is something I talk about when I speak to industry groups, and it, it brings it up. You said, um, do, how long do we think this is going to last? And the answer, of course, is we don't know. But it brings up sort of a, a pet peeve I have with some force majeure clauses I see. Um, some of them say that if a party wants to cancel for a force majeure, they must do it within 10 days or 20 days of when the force majeure uh, occurrence happens. So if there's uh, an earthquake, you need to notify the hotel within 10 days that you're going to cancel. Well, in this situation, if that were the case, that would mean every group that's meeting at a hotel in the next two or three years or whatever would have to decide to cancel today mm -hmm. or in the next 10 days. I don't see what the point is of that. In most situations, there's an advantage to letting things play out because this situation could improve in the next, you know, month or two months. And uh, the, 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 you know, the, the catastrophe we're having now will subside and there will be no reason to cancel. But if I have a meeting nine months from now and I need to make a decision within 10 days, mm -hmm. I might choose to cancel. Yeah. So if you're going to include that kind of deadline on invoking a clause, I would think long and hard about it, that's a about really whether it makes sense. That, that's a really good point because that's language I usually include in a force majeure, and it, and it makes oh, well. sense in a, in a sort of immediate occasion like a hurricane or a tornado or a whatever, but it, it sure doesn't make sense in this, in this occasion. Well, which, which goes to not just dropping in standard clauses, but really thinking right. through. Well, as I say, I think you learn something from every experience. Yeah. And, yeah, and, and, and there's an example maybe of, of, you know, where that happens. Well, and then um, I don't know if you guys have anything else to add, but before we sort of wrap up, I was, uh, I should, I would be remiss in not, you know, reiterating what the World Health Organization has said, um, especially to people who operate hotels, uh, meeting facilities, is the importance of having, uh, you know, sanitizing hand rub dispensers in prominent places, letting people know to wash their hands, and that includes people working at the venues, contractors, uh, and making sure to continually educate everyone who, uh, you know, comes to a large gathering. Uh, such as a, a meeting or event. Um, and I don't know if you guys have a sort of a 
heard anything else out there about precautions uh, that people should take? Well, I think that you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, both, both. There are two reasons for it. One is because it's a good idea and it protects the health and well-being of your attendees. But there's also legal reasons because you don't want to get accused of someone getting sick at your event. Um, but I, I think point. those are yeah. well. I think those are all very good suggestions uh, of precautions. And frankly, if if attendees have confidence that you've addressed some of the health risks by uh, making sure the hotel cleans things regularly and appropriately and uh, there's, there's um, hand sanitizer around, it gives your, your attendees confidence mm -hmm. that they can attend without being overly concerned. Great. Well, thanks. Anything else you guys uh, have to add uh, about this subject? I think, I think we covered it pretty good and, uh, yeah. and I really uh, do think this is a, a fairly unique occurrence that kind of should give everyone pause and, uh, and look to the future for when something else like this inevitably uh, crops up. It's not, you know, something necessarily like a hurricane that is, uh, comes and is over and everyone recovers. This, who knows how long this is gonna last? Who knows if it's gonna mutate into something else? Who knows what the next thing is? Uh, and, and sort of like a, from a health standpoint that, that's gonna come up. So uh, thank you guys uh, for joining us sure. today. Really appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Tom. Absolutely. And uh, thank you all for listening to this Meetings Today podcast. I am Tyler Davidson, Vice President and Chief Content Director. Thanks again to Joshua Grimes and Tyra Warner. And uh, head on over to our website at meetingstoday.com. Um, we also have a great um, uh, risk management, a couple, a few articles um, regarding specifically uh, COVID-19 from uh, Brenda Rivers. Um, so there's some great, uh, very actionable tips there that um, you can check out. So head on over to meetingstoday.com. We also have our podcast section. If you liked what you heard today, um, we have many other topics from industry leaders that have been discussed. So Thanks for joining us and have a wonderful rest of the day.